Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.04 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's Monday, the 1st of March, 2021. This is episode 374 of Bitcoin. And let's just let's just jump in here, man. Why won't Bitcoin die? Because you need it. This is uh, written by Nick Hoffman. He's writing this one back on February the 26th. So this was as we were plunging into the depths of the local bear market. Uh, This is out of Bitcoin Magazine, by the way. Why won't Bitcoin die is a common question I've heard asked throughout the years by people sitting on the sidelines watching the Bitcoin price hectically rise and fall time and time again. The mainstream media will tell you that Bitcoin is a speculative bubble. Your financial advisor will tell you that you're wasting your time by investing in it. Your friends and family will tell you that it's a scam and economists will tell you that it won't work. So why is Bitcoin consistently rising in price and proving them all wrong? If Bitcoin really is everything that these people say it is, then why won't it just die already? Many people in developed countries see Bitcoin as an investment opportunity thinking, I'll buy low here and sell high here in the hopes of purchasing a good or service that they wish to acquire. We also aim to increase our net worth and improve our quality of life, earn a higher social status, provide value, etc. But many people in the first world have not yet had to learn about the frightening reasons why Bitcoin is needed in the first place, but that's changing. People in developing countries see Bitcoin in an entirely different light. They're not buying Bitcoin in the hopes of purchasing a 10-bedroom mansion in Los Angeles. They're not buying Bitcoin in the hopes of owning a Lamborghini. They're buying Bitcoin because they need it to survive. In third world countries where the national currencies are being printed into oblivion, those countries' citizens are seeing their life savings vanish right before their eyes. I remember giving a speech at my college during my freshman year. I went to school in the United States on what's better. fiat currency or Bitcoin. One argument I made is that fiat's hyperinflation tendencies lead to a 100% guaranteed result of wealth evaporation. I showed the video below featuring a chart with multiple national currencies and demonstrating how the Venezuelan boulevard was completely destroyed in a small window of time. It's very ironic to hear Bitcoin critics when they claim that Bitcoin can go to zero dollars when their own national currency is the one that's going to zero in terms of purchasing power. Thanks to Twitter, I was able to see firsthand what was going on in the country, hearing stories from people who would get paid in the boulevard and then have to literally sprint to the local market to buy food before it lost its purchasing power. Many could not afford to eat, keep their jobs, or even survive. This is the inevitable result of all fiat currencies, as history has proven. 
Bitcoin is not a speculative bubble fueled by degenerate gamblers hoping to make a quick buck. It's capital flight from collapsing fiat currencies. When people say Bitcoin is a lifeboat, they're not exaggerating. Bitcoin is providing immense value to those being affected by hyperinflation by allowing those people to store their monetary energy into something that won't evaporate into thin air. Individuals storing their wealth into this hard money capped in supply at $21 million helps assure them that they'll be able to eat this week, that they'll be able to actually afford whatever it is that they need to survive, and Venezuela is just one of the many countries going through this situation. <clears throat> Many in first world countries, especially the United States, where we have the global reserve currency, have not had to deal with this yet. <laughs> and there's a tweet here from Spencer Schiff that says, The U.S. M2 money supply expanded by $369 billion last week, the most since last March. The year-over-year -year growth rate is now 26.54%, which is unprecedented. By the way, uh, this is an aside, but the M2 money supply metric is being scrapped. Um, I think that they're bringing the M2 money supply metric back, but with different parameters. All right, This is what they do to the CPI, by the way. Whenever it is that 2% no longer fits the narrative and it's obvious, well, what they have to do is they have to readjust the CPI to not include or include other things that well, we'll make their 2% narrative on inflation credible. It's not, by the way. <clears throat> credible, I mean. Continuing, the supply of money is growing ever larger every day. Inflation has been ramping up, and you can see it with your own two eyes. I've, I've noticed the prices of all of my go-to groceries at the market go up, and I'm not alone. Many other individuals on Twitter have been voicing their concerns as well. A tweet from Bob Trask. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell says inflation is not a threat. He hasn't been to my grocery store lately. Holding money for which the purchasing power is going down while the cost of goods and services goes up is a road to serfdom. Oh, and let's not forget that the Biden administration has not even begun printing the funds for the $1.9 trillion relief package. So why won't Bitcoin die? Because people need it to protect their savings from hyperinflation now more than ever. Thank you, Nick Hoffman. I appreciate that. That's uh, By the way, Nick Hoffman is Nick Can't Mine on Twitter. Uh, it's a great account, man. He's a you know, young man. I, I believe he's still in college. If he's dropped out, he's of college age, but the dude's on fire, man. You need to, you need to follow Nick can't mine on, on Twitter. <clears throat> All right. Investment bank city says Bitcoin is quote at the tipping point. Scott Cipollina tells us about it from decrypt.co. This was written today. Global Investment Bank City has released a report about the current and potential future status of Bitcoin, describing the cryptocurrency as the North Star of innovation. The report makes several claims about Bitcoin's potential. One of the most significant <clears throat> is uh, in the report is that because an increasing number of businesses are accepting Bitcoin, somebody called Peter Schiff. The flagship cryptocurrency is already breaking into the mainstream. The report also states that Bitcoin's base is markedly different from 2017 when Bitcoin was trading almost exclusively as a retail asset. 
The report also suggests that Bitcoin may be the currency of choice for future international trade. The report points to the cryptocurrency's global reach, borderless design, and lack of foreign exchange exposure as key features that could drive this phenomenon. But the most important factor that influences whether Bitcoin becomes the currency of choice for international trade is perception. According to the report, Bitcoin's perception moved from a focus on technology to a focus on the cryptocurrency's ability to resist censorship and finally to a focus on scarcity. No, none of that's true. All of those have been embedded into the Bitcoin narrative since long before I got in at in 2015. All right, so Sometimes you get, you, I get a hold of stories that have FUD in there. You need to know what the FUD is so that you can combat it. Okay, that's, that's why I'm, I'm telling you what this is. In the future, the focus may shift to Bitcoin's glo- globality, if that's a word, and value exchange networks, which, according to the report, is when Bitcoin may be considered a facilitator of global trade. Bitcoin is becoming the de facto North Star of the digital asset space, with its trajectory being seen as a compass for the evolution of the broader ecosystem, the report stated. Bitcoin is also set to benefit from advancements in and the broadening use of blockchain technology. (laughs) Jesus, guys. Blockchains are already being used in ways that look beyond Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general. These efforts, according to the report, validate Bitcoin's underlying technology and might bring it into the mainstream. No, putting bananas on the blockchain or somehow I actually was not, I'm not going to read the, this new story, but I saw one earlier today that said that some people are refueling jets and making it in, making it efficient using the blockchain, which is bananas on the blockchain guys. You know, blockchains and where, where blockchains meet real world meat space, goods and services. Yeah, you don't need it. I just I just need the store of value, the fact that it's borderless, the fact that it's censorship resistant. These are the things that are important. <clears throat> I need a system that any that anybody can help support with a Raspberry Pi for. That's what I'm looking for, guys. I, I'm not looking to to I don't give a shit that American Airlines fills up the jet I'm sitting on with jet A fuel and then registers that shit on a blockchain. That doesn't, that means absolutely nothing, not only to me, but in the end, it's just going to be one more thing that their teams have to learn how to do and learn how to maintain and then actually go and maintain it. So just be aware, guys. Um, In addition, the report suggests that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are becoming more interlinked with the traditional fiat currency system. When Bitcoin was first invented, it operated outside of traditional finance. Fiat currencies were converted in and out of the crypto market, but now that too is changing. With PayPal's decision to add Bitcoin to its platform in 2020, it is now far easier to see how Bitcoin is further integrated into traditional finance. Quote, all the user needs to do is choose to pay in Bitcoin and PayPal will handle the rest of the transaction, the report said, adding... This is a marked improvement in the ability of money to move between the two ecosystems. However, despite some of the more optimistic assessments of Bitcoin's future, the City Report also deals with some of the largest obstacles Bitcoin may encounter. One of these obstacles is the risk that other cryptocurrencies overtake and displace Bitcoin, 
In support of this view, the report points to the fact that Bitcoin's market capitalization increased by 2.7x in 2020, but the market capitalization for altcoins increased by 3.75x during the same period. That's because there's no amount of stupid that can be quenched in this market, guys. This means that Bitcoin's share of the crypto market is declining. Oh, it's such a bullshit metric, guys. <clears throat> in 2019, Bitcoin's market dominance sat at 69%, but it fell to 62% in 2020. Oh, I'm so scared. Bitcoin may also fall victim to the developing macroeconomic environment. The report suggests one of the reasons why institutional investors are buying into Bitcoin is because they are convinced it's a hedge against inflation and currency devaluation. Concern about inflation has been heightened during the COVID-19 pandemic, but the world's largest economies are showing signs of recovery. China demonstrated positive economic growth in 2020 despite being in the uh, oh sorry, despite being the COVID-19 epicenter, the report states that this growth might siphon off interest from Bitcoin as investors reallocate capital back into traditional markets <laughs> so they can wait for the next time <clears throat> because there is going to be a next time. In fact, I read a report the other day that the Biden administration is increasing Ebola watches at airports from two particular countries. Uh, I yeah, had to actually say it. <laughs> Uh, to my sister, because, um, you know, the following is definitely not, not a popular opinion. When COVID-19 loses its luster as a mechanism of ease, easily and mass control of a large amount of people, they will find another disease <clears throat> because it worked so well the first time. All you really got to do is change, change the brand. I mean, cigarettes are cigarettes. Marlboro was great one time, and now American spirits are the shit, but they're both cigarettes, all right? I mean, yes, Marlboro has a lot more chemistry sprayed onto it, and American spirits supposedly have no chemistry sprayed onto it, but a cigarette is a cigarette is a cigarette, and by any other name, some cigarettes sell better than others, hence the fact that Marlboro was the shit, and now American spirits are the choice a cigarette now and they cost by the way 11 bucks a pack at least down here in texas it does now as a little aside i keep meaning to bring this particular story to you it's not a news story it's <clears throat> something that's going on um in in my family business uh but it's it's it it's gone on so long that i i just can't not tell you guys about it at this point because it's just if you ever want to know why it is I Bitcoin, well, this is definitely one of the reasons why I Bitcoin. So back at Christmas, my sister and I decided, um, along with uh, our stepmom, that the companies that we are in control of uh, would start investing our, you know, some of our profits off of those companies into Bitcoin and traditional markets because we were sitting all, you know, basically sitting all in cash on a couple of accounts and we were like you know i was just like going look man at this point dude it's it's irresponsible you know to be sitting on cash this is this is ridiculous and of course my sister had been echoing the fact that she's kind of getting nervous sitting on cash too so we made a decision and the decision was four percent into bitcoin six percent into traditional markets 
of everything that we've got right now in cash and all monthly income moving forward to go the same direction, 4% into Bitcoin and 6% into traditional markets. Okay, that was back at Christmas. That was last year. Before, I think it was like before the first week of the new year, 2021 was over. I had uh, set up a Swan Bitcoin account for um, for the uh, for the basically the the head node of all the companies, so that everything would flow through that one, and then collect it all up, and then throw it into Bitcoin or what have you. And uh, so that was done. And then I think by the time the second or third week of January was out, I had taken you know the money that I was gonna you know put in, which ended up being a little too much. Apparently, I I blew over the four percent mark. But hey, I'm I'm happy with that decision because somewhere around and let me let me get it. Uh, let me see where the dates are here for Swan. Yeah, the first purchase was oh actually the first purchase was a hundred bucks back on the 7th of January this year. So I already had this shit going. My sister is still unable at this point, And she started the exact same time, the process of like, you know, looking at Fidelity or Vanguard or, you know, some of these other, uh, other traditional finance investment houses. And we still, still have yet to be able to do that with a, with a competent business, that has banking relations that have been have, that has had banking relations forever. All right. I mean, it's not like we we spun these th- things up last year. All right. These things are like these things are like you know five years old. Like in, and in some cases, like you know uh, you know a little bit older than that. Right. So it's it's not like it's a brand new company that opened last week and the bank is going huh and Vanguard and Fidelity and all these other places are going. I don't know if I can trust you. No, we've had banking relationships and credible, credible financial relationships with these companies uh, for these companies uh, for a while. And she still is unable. And it's not, she knows exactly what she's doing, by the way. This has nothing to do with our end. This has everything to do with how screwed up legacy finance is. Even if I want to put that money into legacy finance, <clears throat> they're making it so difficult that i mean if one more thing happens i can almost guarantee you that my sister's going to go call me up and say fuck it put it into bitcoin and i will i will absolutely do that because why well because if i'm looking at my swan account we're you know we're up up like 42% since january the 7th 42% since january the 7th and in traditional finance i can't even start the account I got, I, 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 like, I got like, you know, thousands of dollars that are just chilling out, just losing value, just melting away. And we're waiting on legacy finance to get their ever loving shit together and they won't. So if you ever wondered exactly, you know, if, if you needed a hard, fast reason that I can look at your know, point to as to why I Bitcoin, that one that I just start, uh, talked about. Is, the, is one of the main ones as to why I Bitcoin. Now, here's why Rakuten Bitcoins, they've allowed their customers to now use Bitcoin for shopping. So somebody please alert Peter Schiff of, of the following news stories, okay? Because Peter is convinced that nobody accepts Bitcoin. I don't know where he gets it, but let's see what Marie Juliet says about this from Cointelegraph. 
Crypto-friendly Japanese retailer Rakuten is now enabling users of Rakuten Wallet, its crypto exchange subsidiary, to easily spend their cryptocurrency holdings in everyday transactions. According to the announcement uh, published on February the 24th, users are now able to load up their Rakuten Pay accounts seamlessly with their wallet holdings of Bitcoin, Bcash, and Ethereum. Rakuten Pay is a mobile payment app that is uh, uh, that is operative nationwide and supported at a wide range of large and medium scale retailers. So back in 2019, Rakuten had already enabled consumers to convert their Rakuten group loyalty payments to cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. <clears throat> now a deeper integration is being implemented, tying together Rakuten's wallet, Rakuten Cash, which is their e-money service, and Rakuten Pay together to support cryptocurrency spending at retailers such as McDonald's, CU, and Family Mart. There will be no conversion fees between fiat, e-money, and crypto holdings, although there is a minimum spend amount of 1,000 yen, which is about 10 bucks, and a monthly upper limit of around 100,000 yen, which is about a grand. To make use of the integration, users will need to be a Rakuten member and have a trading account set up for a Rakuten wallet. The company is also offering a small bo bonus of Rakuten points to incentivize the new service. So you're talking about like, or you, you, the, these guys represent a fair amount of, you know, retailers and they just pulled the pin and, you know, apparently they've been doing this for a while, but now they've pulled the pin even further. So again, somebody please get a hold of Peter Schiff and tell him to read all these stories about all these retailers who do accept Bitcoin either directly or indirectly. Now, I'm not sure about how I, well, actually, I know how I feel about the fact that they're converting inside the wallet to uh, uh, the national fiat currency of yen, because uh, that's what's happening. And so if you go and, and use Rakuten to, you know, spend something at the 7-Eleven or whatever, um, like McDonald's, the McDonald's itself, I guarantee you, is getting fiat currency on the other end of that transaction. So a conversion is happening inside the infrastructure of Rakuten themselves. So you're not actually using Bitcoin. You're actually using Bitcoin to buy the service, but the service provider is not getting Bitcoin. I expect that to change, okay? Uh, and here's another one. Again, somebody please get Peter Schiff on the horn and, and tell him what Sam Borgi has to say from Cointelegraph. OLB Group enables crypto payments for thousands of United States merchants. So we went from Japan and now we're back in the United States here. Uh, this was written sometime yesterday. <clears throat> OLB Group, a New York-based e-commerce merchant service provider, is making it easier for businesses to accept cryptocurrency payments. OLB's more than 8,500 merchants are now able to accept Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDC, and DAI at the point of sale through the company's OmniSoft business management platform. Customers wishing to pay with cryptocurrency in-store or through their mobile phones can simply elect to do so with their cryptocurrency wallets. All payments are processed through SecurePay, a payment gateway that authenticates the transaction, converts the cryptocurrency to U.S. dollars, and approves the final sale. 
The decision to integrate cryptocurrency payments was partly driven by the growth of contactless and online ordering during the COVID-19 pandemic, with the Omnisoft platform already providing merchants with several options to facilitate payments, cryptocurrencies were the next logical step. Ronnie Yakov, OLB Group's CEO, says the payment gateway and point-of-sale architecture are familiar territory for merchants, which makes integrating cryptocurrencies through such channels easy. On the topics of cryptocurrency payments, a promising but underutilized use case for the industry, Yakov believes we are still in the very early stages of adoption. I have to agree with that. Quote, it's very early in crypto as a payment adoption, but we see increasing interest from merchants exploring this payment option as a means to meet their customers however and wherever they prefer, Yakov tells Cointelegraph. He also believes certain industries are more likely to adopt crypto payments before others. We anticipate that adoption will happen more quickly and in higher ticket trans or higher ticket transactions such as jewelry. B2B billing and real estate because the transaction fees for cryptocurrency processing are lower, often half of typical credit card fees. Cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin have struggled to become a viable medium of exchange, inviting criticism about their utility. Charlie Munger, the billionaire investors and Berkshire Hathaway vice chairman, recently criticized Bitcoin for being too volatile to serve well as a medium of exchange. With development work on scaling and sidechains still in progress, it remains to be seen whether cryptocurrencies will ever function efficiently as payment systems. Of course they will, dude. In the meantime, assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum are valued for their store of value and development capabilities, respectively. Oh, oh development only happens on Ethereum. Oh my God. See, <clears throat> subtle narratives right there. No, development happens all the time on Bitcoin. It happens right in front of your eyes. It's just that it's not the shiny thing. The shiny thing is what gets the little stupid bird to come and peck at it. Okay, so yeah, just a little, little nature lesson there. Okay, Google Finance adds a dedicated crypto tab featuring Bitcoin, Ether, and Litecoin, of all things. Lard. Uh, let's see, Sam Borgi is writing this one as well for Cointelegraph. Cryptocurrencies... Uh, continue to enter mainstream usage. Google Finance users can now get a quick rundown of the top cryptocurrency prices with one click. Uh, Google Finance has added those crypto prices <clears throat> to the finance.google.com domain. The section titled Crypto now appears in the Compare Markets category alongside conventional stock and currency markets. The section provides key pricing information for various cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin and shitcoins. Google's parent Alphabet also owns video platform YouTube, which has consistently irked crypto users by banning educational and news content, often seemingly at random. Cointelegraph and Coindesk, the two largest publications in the crypto news space, have both been subject to suspensions that have subsequently been overturned after the video streaming platform confirmed that they were not in violation of YouTube's terms of service. The cryptocurrency market has attracted mainstream attention over the last year as institutional investors and corporations have started to invest in the asset class. Their involvement helped launch the cryptocurrency market cap uh, past the $100 trillion mark in January, 
the crypto market actually that was February, dude, but whatever. Oh, well, actually that's the, the whole cryptocurrency market. Yeah. But we only care about Bitcoin. The crypto market cap could eventually peak north of $1.7 trillion in February before experiencing a pullback uh, at current values. The digital asset class is worth over $1.4 trillion. Both retail adoption and institutional interest has been growing rapidly over the last three months. And with major firms like Tesla and MasterCard actively embracing cryptocurrencies, the need for clearer regulation is growing. Oh, yay. According to the United States Securities and Exchange Commissioner Hester Pierce. Uh, wasn't she the former commissioner? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, calls for clear guidelines on digital assets will likely grow louder as the bull market heats up. In the meantime, Pierce said the new Biden administration can provide a fresh look at the regulatory aspect. Okay, so Google now... You can't you can't just dismiss it. So they're having to dedicate an you know an entire tab on their finance site to tell us and tell the world about what the prices of cryptocurrencies are. Of course, the only one that really does matter is Bitcoin. But you know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll give them their hubris here to think that other things matter. In either event, let's let's uh, let's go ahead and start running the numbers. CNBC.com forward slash features and commodities has the following information for today's consumption. Energy futures are all up pretty good. Almost all of them are up almost a point. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is up 0.9. Brent North Sea is up 0.9. Natural gas is up 0.6. And uh, RBOB gas is up 0.9. So those are all percents. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is going to come in at 62 bucks a barrel. Brent North Sea is going to come in at 65 And natural gas is going to come in at $2.78 for 1,000 cubic feet of that. Shiny Metal Rocks having a good day. Uh, gold is up 0.8%. It will come in at $1,742. Silver is almost up 2%, so 26 or right at 27 bucks. Platinum having a banner day. Uh, it is up 3.2%, $1,224 for that. Copper is up 1.5% and palladium is up 1%. Let's see what indices are doing. Yes, our indices look like this. Dow futures up a point. Uh, S&P futures up a point. NASDAQ futures up a point and a quarter. And the S&P mini is up a point and a half. So there you go on that one. Real money tells me that Bitcoin is $47,776.35. Is that my high? Nope. My high is going to be over at GDAX at 47,800. No, actually it's at Bitfinex. That was my low number, by the way. Yeah, that was my low. Holy crap, Bitfinex has it at 47,891. So not a whole lot of wiggle room, but whatever. 260,000 transactions are performed over the last 24 hours with about 10,800 transactions being performed every hour on the hour. Uh, 322,000 BTC were sent in that period. That's a fairly low number as of late. That's 13,500 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average, and the average transaction value is 1.23 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.016 BTC. 
Block times are high by a minute, 10 minutes and 59 seconds. 0.67 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 87.28 BTC taken in fees over the past 24 hours. And with a almost 15% drop in hash rate, we are now back to what essentially used to be an all-time high of hash rate at 140.3 exahashes per second. I remember when we were still in the single digits on that. So what's Doge doing? What Doge always does, five cents. The only reason I tell you that is like, if I got to tell you the, if I'm going to tell you the credible price of Bitcoin, I got to tell you the stupid on Dogecoin just because everything else lies in between. You got Bitcoin at one end and, and Dogecoin all the way at the other end. All the rest of the shit coins just basically hang out in between. So you can imagine what the stupid is doing today. Clark Moody has uh, 44,000 transactions that are going to have to onboard 92 blocks to clear. We have $889.3 billion market capitalization, which is 7.77% of gold's market cap. One Bitcoin will buy you 27 ounces of gold. And with 18,641,742.59 BTC in circulation, that's quite a bit of gold. Um, Clark Moody's price, he's showing $47,690 for one Bitcoin. We have 1,097 and a half Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. That's $52.3 million of capacity. We have 9,219 Lightning nodes, and they're running 38,509 channels that we can see. Had a tick up in the percentage of Tor capacity of the Lightning Network. And if you don't know what Tor is, basically it's being able to be fairly private on the internet. So you're not really just broadcasting everything in ClearNet. There's there's some obfuscation right there. So if you don't know what Tor is, I highly recommend that you go figure out what Tor is. And just 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 Google what is Tor, and you'll you'll start. It you got to start somewhere, and you might as well start there. Uh, 53.5% of the Lightning Network is run over Tor, and that is 3,645 Tor nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Part two of the morning roundup begins with a slap on the wrist. Robinhood expects to pay $26.6 million in FINRA fine. This is Eakin Jenk writing for Decrypt.co sometime February the 28th. Robinhood, the popular stock trading app, announced on Friday that U.S. regulators were preparing to probe its trading restrictions on shares of GameStop and others. The company said in a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission that it is cooperating right now with investigations by a number of regulatory bodies, including the SEC, FINRA, and the New York Attorney General's Office. Decrypt has reached out to Robinhood for further comment, but apparently hasn't received one yet. In the SEC filing, Robinhood also said it is preparing to pay at least $26.6 million dollars of a potential settlement with FINRA, not over the GameStop restrictions, but over trading outages in March of 2020. Holy crap, that was a year ago. And its options trading policies around approval and display. Robinhood, in its filing, said it is engaged in discussions with FINRA staff 
regarding a possible negotiated resolution of certain FINRA matters, including the March 2020 outages and options trading, and that it expects that any resolution, if reached, would involve charges of violations of FINRA rules, a fine, customer restitution, a censure, and a compliance consultant. <laughs> We have accrued in our statement of financial condition for the year ended December 31st, 2020 of $26.6 million representing the bottom of the range of our probable losses. We cannot predict, however, whether these discussions will result in a resolution of these matters in quote. Robinhood's options trading policies became particularly contentious when Alex Kearns, a 20-year-old trader, committed suicide last year after wrongly believing that he had lost nearly $750,000 in an options bet made on Robinhood. In reality, he had a balance of $16,000, but that was allegedly miscommunicated. The app in January came under scrutiny once again when it halted buying of GameStop shares amid the trading frenzy pushed by short squeeze investors on social media. Grassroots investors had coordinated on Reddit to buy GameStop shares to push up prices, forcing hedge funds to buy up even more GameStop. As the frenzy unfolded, Robinhood put a swift stop to trading on GME and other shares subject to similarly unusual demand, including Nokia, AMC Entertainment Holdings. Separately, it also restricted instant deposit buys for cryptocurrencies. The company defended the trading restriction. The extraordinary demand spiked up its bills to clearinghouse companies, forcing them to take this decision. It said in an effort to justify the controversial move, quote, it was not because we wanted to stop people from buying these stocks, the company said. Oh, yeah. But none of these public statements did do much to calm the angry traders who questioned the app's claim to democratize trading, since the move was seen to be in the interest of Wall Street. Uh, the SEC vowed to protect the traders, and it's now been joined by others in regulatory efforts to scrutinize Robinhood. The regulatory headache comes at a particularly inopportune time for the company as it prepares to go public later this year, boasting a reported valuation of about $20 billion. But bad publicity is still publicity. Robinhood added more than 6 million new crypto customers in just the past two months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, God. That's just such a sad story about that little kid, kid killing himself before he had a whole life to live. And... Numbers got in the way. Tether allegedly receives ransom note demanding 500 BTC. This was fun when it came across the wires yesterday. Let's see what the uh, digest is here. This is Coindesk.com's uh, Daniel Kuhn writing this one on February the 28th. Tether, the issuer of the USDT stablecoin, claims to have received a ransom note asking for 500 Bitcoin, lest documents be made public that could harm the Bitcoin ecosystem. Oh, oh what? That, see, this is this, again, narrative. The narrative was like pretty much going to be put to bed by the fact that they had said like there was like a no fault conclusion to the investigation with, I guess, the New York Attorney General's office. Uh, but people really, really, really want to hurt Bitcoin. And somehow or another, they still think that Tether will do that. That slamming Tether will somehow or another crush Bitcoin. No, 
It's not. And by the way, at this point, I think Tether is gotten like completely free of the bullshit. Although bullshit still comes down the pipe. Quote, while we believe this is a pretty sad attempt at a shakedown, we take it seriously. We have reported the forged communications and the associated ransom demand to law enforcement. As always, we will fully support law enforcement in an investigation of this extortion scheme, Tether tweeted. Tether serves an important, though sometimes controversial, role in the cryptocurrency markets. Its USDT token, pegged to the U.S. dollar, is used by traders, exchanges, and throughout the crypto economy, giving it what some call systemic importance. In the past year, coinciding with the meteoric rise of the price of Bitcoin, Tether's market cap exploded to over $34 billion from $2 billion. Tether has claimed that every USDT issued is backed by dollar or dollar equivalents held in a bank account, which has become a point of contention among academics, crypto skeptics, and the New York Attorney General. In recent days, documents have circulated online purportedly showing an email thread between a Tether employee and representatives for Deltek, the Bahamanian bank said to hold USDT reserves that reignited questions about Tether's backing. Of course, you have to reignite that. Once you squelch the fire, these assholes have to, you know, try to set it back on fire. And all they're trying to do is hurt Bitcoin. They don't give a shit about Tether. They don't care about Tether. For some reason or another, like I said, they think Tether is the way in to hurt Bitcoin. And even if they get to the point where they crush Tether, it'll just everything will just move over to USDC or die or some some kind of shit. And by that time, you know, uh, Liquid Network will probably be even you know way way more utilized than it is right now. It's not. It's, this isn't going to work, guys. You just you're wasting your time. In recent days, documents have circulated. Oh, I'm sorry. The the emails have not been verified. Tether denied their legitimacy in the same Twitter thread announcing the extortion attempt. A company rep has not responded for to a request for comment by press time. On Tuesday, Tether settled with the New York Attorney General regarding a multi-year investigation regarding an $850 million loan made to its sister exchange, Bitfinex. The firms did not admit wrongdoing as part of the settlement. That's important. The, the settlement states that they basically did no wrong. However, if you listen to the New York Attorney General's statement, it makes it sound like they did a whole lot of wrong. So I don't know where Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, gets off being able to do that because the settlement clearly states that there's no wrongdoing. But Letitia, the way she made it sound was that these are just horrendous people. And I'm like, well, if they're so horrendous, why did you settle? Why don't you put them into jail? Oh, God. Anyway, <clears throat> Attorney General Letitia James said, however, quote, Tether's claims that its virtual currency was fully backed by the U.S. dollar at all times was a lie. Under the terms of the agreement, Tether will provide quarterly reports on its reserves for the next two years. Okay, so if it was a lie, then that's wrongdoing. If they lied to you, Letitia, then you have cause to not settle. You didn't have to settle this. You, if you really have proof that the Tether Corporation or whatever they're called lied to you under oath in open court, then why did you settle? That's the question that's on my mind. I hope it's on a bunch of other people's minds as well. 
Canada's Bitcoin ETFs cool down following explosive launch. Gee, I wonder why. Matthew DeSalvo tells us more about it out of Decrypt.co. He's writing this one February the 28th. Canada's two historic Bitcoin exchange-traded funds are cooling down after their explosive launches. The Purpose Bitcoin ETF, which launched on February the 18th as the first North American Bitcoin ETF, has $470 million in assets under management, or 10,000 Bitcoin. It broke records when it launched, trading $165 million worth of shares in its very first day, including 80 million of that in its very first hour. Now, as the price of Bitcoin slides, things are slowing down. Purpose shares under the ticker symbol BTCC, which represents the price of Bitcoin, were trading today on the Toronto Stock Exchange for $8.90, which was down 5.5% in the past 24 hours. The trading volume had dropped to $23 million on Friday. Bloomberg ETF analyst Eric Blochnas said that this was expected following such a spectacular launch. Quote, it was arguably the most successful ETF launch of all time, proportionally speaking, he told Decrypt. But that's how big the waiting list was. It was like feeding bread to a bunch of hungry birds. They were all right there. Bokshinus said that the recent Bitcoin and equity sell-off took away some of the steam, making the volume nosedive. But he added that this is still a very high number for a new ETF. A new ETF in the U.S. market would do well to see figures like this in its first three months, much less first hour. The second Canadian Bitcoin ETF, Evolve, which trades under EBIT, which launched shortly after Purpose, also did well. It raised $420 million in just two days. Though it is now slowing down 5.5% uh, 5.57% today at $17.90, according to Bloomberg data with 24-hour trading volume at $5 million on Friday, it currently manages $400 million in assets. So the ETF stuff kind of slowed down a little bit, but to be expected. And honestly though, I'm not sure if a, you know, if a US exchange traded fund for bitcoin would do anywhere close to as well as even partials of the, uh, these two canadian ets because well we missed the boat the, i mean as as a financial powerhouse quote unquote global financial powerhouse we completely screwed that up by not offering the etf in north america first so canada basically came in and said well shit you ain't gonna do it we'll do it and they did it and they're going to be extraordinarily successful. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit if those ETFs are then leveraged to somehow provide state and federal employees of Canada part of their independent or um, their IRAs, their retirement accounts. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if we didn't see that happen before the close of this year. <clears throat> so, Dogecoin, we get back to it. <clears throat> Bots encourage the buying of GameStop and Dogecoin in meme trading craze, says a report. Coindesk.com's, who is it? Sebastian Sinclair has this for us. The buying frenzy that sparked a rush into GameStop and Dogecoin recently was likely amplified by trading bots, according to analysts from a Massachusetts-based cybersecurity company. 
As reported by Reuters on Saturday, PIIQ Media says it found patterns in posts and keywords posted to social media platforms during set times each day, suggesting bots were driving the craze. It also compared such posts uh, to unrelated stocks for comparison. However, the company is uncertain how much impact the bots have played in driving trading. Based on its analysis, the company says foreign actors may have helped stir up the craze in buying of GameStop and other meme stocks when Reddit Group united to drive prices higher and short-squeeze large head funds. That's despite Reddit's CEO Steve Huffman's comments to a Congress committee in February in which he denied bots or fake accounts had played a significant role in message traffic on GameStop subreddit, which is our GameStop. In its analysis of posts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, PIIQ's analysis examined patterns of keywords such as hold the line and GME in conversations between January the 28th and February the 18th. The analysis showed regular frequent postings at set times during the trading day, according to the report. Quote, we saw clear patterns of artificial behavior across the other four social media platforms, says Peaks CTO Aaron Barr in the report, quote, when you think of organic content, it's variable in the day, variable day to day. It doesn't have the exact same pattern every day for a month. The cybersecurity company believes these there are currently tens of thousands of bot account hyping uh, GME and other meme stocks as well as Doge. While the company did not analyze data from Reddit posts, Barr said a similar pattern of a bot activity manipulating trader conversations on the social media uh, platform was likely. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Reddit all did not reply to Coindesk's request for comment at press time, probably because they just they're not going to be able to say anything. They don't know. LSE Economist. Oh, this one's fun. You don't want to live in a world where Bitcoin succeeds. Can you smell the narrative? Matthew DeSalvo is going to give us the narrative from Decrypt.co. Uh, this is important to note who, who's saying what and why so that you can combat it, okay? An economist at a top London university, so we've got an academic. This is a guy that hasn't actually built anything, but by God, he knows how to, he knows all about economies and shit, even though he doesn't really participate in them, just saying. Okay, an economist at a top London university has said that if Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies continue to rise in price, inequality will increase. John Danielson, director of the Systemic Risk Center at the London School of Economics, published a column for the Center for Economic and Policy Research, Vox EU, on Friday entitled, What Happens If Bitcoin Succeeds? Danielson argues that most people would not want to live in a society where cryptocurrency succeeds. Why? Because the big holders, or whales, will become the wealthiest people in the world, rivaling the kings and emperors that ruled over empires in centuries past, he said. I'm going to stop right there. What difference do you see with what we have already? You have the exact same thing because we have the Cantillon effect. We have all manner of things. In fact, we have a general popularity contest of hiring people into federal governments across the world that probably have no business sitting in those chairs. And yet the unmitigated audacity to suggest that we 
Bitcoin holders would somehow or another be the exact same thing. Well, first of all, no, there's more ethics in this particular field than there ever was in politics. And second of all, again, what's the difference? You already have that. So the fact that you're mad that your buddy is no longer going to be king, that you're going to have to go suck up to some to, to the new king, I'm sorry that you have a problem with that. I really don't care, though. Continuing on, and this would lead to greater inequality and populism, says Danielson. The network is already far from equal. Market analytics site Glassnode found that around 2% of network entities control 71.5% of all Bitcoin. Whales, which Glassnode defines as those who hold between 1,000 and 5,000 Bitcoin, hold 18.4% of all Bitcoin in circulation or 3.43 million Bitcoin. And humpback whales, I've never heard this one before, humpback whales hold over 5,000 Bitcoin and they hold collectively 13.3% of all Bitcoin. These entities, said CTO Schultz Craft, are most likely institutions, funds, custodians, OTC desks, and other high net worth individuals. And anyone who invested a trivial amount of money a decade ago and huddled their coins is now immensely wealthy. Well, that's not exactly true, guys. This week, someone moved ancient Bitcoins worth around $5 million today. Those Bitcoin were worth less than a dollar when they were mined back in July of 2010. Danielson's column continues, when the Bitcoin aristocracy starts spending their trillions, what does that mean for the rest of us? I don't know that we'll get some. We do know that such extreme levels of inequality fuel social division and populism. The Bitcoin aristocracy will come under increasing threat and the government will have to respond. It will protect or attack. It can't be neutral. Either way, political and social instabilities get worse. Danielson argues that if the price of Bitcoin continues to rise and then replaces fiat money, society will change. Oh God, how dare it? Those who own fiat will suffer, while those who are part of Bitcoin boom will do well. But the consequences of Bitcoin success will be perverse, so cryptocurrencies will be disregarded long before they reach such high values, according to Danielson. He finishes by arguing that Bitcoin right now is merely a bubble, and it makes sense to ride the bubble as long as possible. With Bitcoin's price on another worrying dip at the time of writing, could Danielson be right? Well, I don't know. Well, he's right about at least one thing. He's right that governments can't be neutral. He's exactly right about can't be neutral. They absolutely cannot be neutral. They're either going to attack or they're going to crumble in front of that, which is Bitcoin. Okay. And honestly, I'm, you know, as far as the whole whale thing is concerned, again, what's the difference? And I'm not saying that in a way that suggests that I don't give a shit. I, I mean, I actually do, but. At one point or another, you've got to discover a clear fact about the, the way that humans interact with their world. Some, be, some people just pick up on shit faster. And they're rewarded because the risk that they're taking from the outset is, far, is in far, far, far more. It's, it's just the risk they take is far more than normal people. And, it's, and there's two reasons for that. One, they see, the, they see it as a risk, but as a potential reward far faster than a lot of other people do. And 
they have the stomach to go ahead and take that risk. Okay, there's two things that work there. So I'm not sure why I would be faulting these people for, you know, seeing what was on the horizon and reacting accordingly. I mean, if you've got 50 people that are walking towards a cliff and one guy in the middle, you know, in the middle of the pack says, shit, I think that's a cliff and then stops, turns around and starts walking the other direction and all 49 other people fall off the cliff. How the hell is that? How is it that that guy is at fault? for understanding that there was a cliff there, for being able to pick up on signs that maybe there wasn't any land to walk on, you know, a hundred, a hundred yards from now and said, you know, I'm just not going to do that. How is it his fault or her fault? I, I, I don't get it. So again, the narratives are being spun up. So be very, very careful with how you engage with people that are uh, parroting the narratives. The most, the two most important ones here are this one, this one uh, about the inequality. Because guess what, Southern Poverty Law Center, I guarantee you, or if they haven't already, they're going to soon release a report that basically says the exact same thing, only in tones that are much more aggressive. Because that's what the SPLC always does on Bitcoin. The second narrative that's going around is um, the tether narrative. They're not going to let it die. Okay, Bitfinex and all the people, and, and that's Bitfinex ED at the very end of that, not not the exchange, the Twitter account Bitfinex. They are going to continuously spin up the tether narrative. You have to be careful about that. So uh, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. Uh, 10 plus 10 and 11 plus 11 equal the same number. How? 10 plus 10 equals 20. 11 plus 11 equals 22. Yeah, the, uh, the math, the, the whole math stuff, the whole 2 plus 2 could equal 5, and you're racist if you don't believe that. Uh, even dad says jokes is getting in on, on that particular meme, but whatever, we got better fish to fry. Listen, um, be careful with the narratives, uh, figure out your, the way that you're going to combat those, make sure you do it in, in short, succinct ways. Um, there, uh, somewhere there used to be, I don't see if, if, if somebody knows, can you DM me? There used to be a website that was out there that actually had ref, you know, quick refutations to all the bullshit narratives that are going on in Bitcoin. If you can, would you DM me that site if you know about it so that I can uh, uh, reference it in uh, tomorrow's show or sometime this week or something like that? Because it's really important to be able to say, okay, look, I, I get your narrative of inequality and here's why it's wrong. Two sentences later, you've made the statement and they're either going to accept it or they're not. And that way you at least know that it's time to either move on or if they possibly, like you see a little light bulb go on above their head, maybe continue a little bit further. But the the first foray into any of the refutation or any of the, the, the problems that say, well, there's too much energy. Well, you got to have a two, a two sentence refutation for that. Oh, inequality. You got to be able to come back with, with two sentences. No more. It's got to be like a, a punch in the face, like really quick or like a really quick jab to the nose. And that's it. 
No, no continuously beating them over the head because honestly, that doesn't really work. It's got to be very quick refutation. So work on those and well, shit, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.